Gabe. We're here. It's been a, it's been a minute. Of course, we've waited a long time. It's been several minutes. Because I really wanted to get this cast out next in the sequence of the casts, but we haven't been able to record it. And the reason I wanted to wait to record it is because we have someone with us that has read the book uh, that the film is based on that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be great to have that person on. He's well read. Compare and contrast. Oh yeah, that'd but be a Gabe, good point of conversation. <laughs> Gabe, yeah. ask me. Uh, who's with us? Who's with us today? Stephen, who's with us today? <laughs> it's it's Bryce Reef. He's back on the cast. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good as last time. The last time we had Bryce, we did. Andor. 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 Yeah, it was for Andor. Yes, Andor. Yes. Yeah. So, but, but thanks thanks for coming back. You are a great addition voice to our cast. And I like being here. It's fun. I like looking at you. Oh my god, I like really like looking at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's super fun. I appreciate the comment. But Gabe, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about the Netflix <laughs> production. Yeah. Uh, all Quiet on the Western Front. Yes. It is the third film adaptation, I think, of this story. I think it might be the. F- might be the fourth, but maybe third film though. There might have been a TV production there somewhere, but that point aside, there's been a few movie iterations of this uh, story, which was written shortly after the First World War, right? Mm -hmm. By a German... In the 20s. Yeah, Eric... Lenscher. Erica Marie (laughs) Remarque. Yeah, Eric Maria Remarque, German novelist, who wrote the classic anti-war novel. All quiet in the Western Front. And that's the operative term for About the war. Yes. That's the real question, isn't it? Can you do anti-war? Can you make something that has to do with war anti-war? Especially in a film format. Yeah. This, I guess we'll get to the bottom yeah, of that so, yeah, question. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and some more brief modern context. I think Netflix has put this in the running for uh, Best Picture. It is. Yes. It's a Best Picture contender. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. Ah. Which I, I'm sure there's been... I think it actually has a good... Chance. I heard it just won Best Picture for some other one of the ones that comes before the Academy Awards. And it is a German production, right? Mm-hmm. Ish. Entirely. Yeah. Really? It's entire like it's it was made in Germany. It's got German people. Well, I, I just mean it's like a German production company. German director. But, but German actors and German director, yeah. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. German scorist. Yeah. <laughs> Scorier. The score man. German sorceress too. Volker Bertelmann. <laughs> Let's talk about the. I wanted to talk about the stats and 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 pay homage to the filmmakers behind this film. Uh, Gabe, did you say the director? Yeah, yeah. Edward Berger is the the director. Oh, yeah. Oh my Edward god, I'm Berger. so sorry. He's not German. He's Swiss. Oh. Who the director? He is. Hey, may as well be German, right? <laughs> Says he was born in Lower Saxony in Germany. The director. Hey, this Edward Berger. Wikipedia says he's Swiss. Oh. All right. Maybe he was raised in Swiss. That's true. In, in Swiss. In Swiss. <laughs> like the cheese. <laughs> you know what I mean. Good right. Cheese. He does say he's born in Lower Saxony. Yeah, well, okay, he's German. Never mind. <laughs> he was born German. He's, he lives German. <laughs> you know, I'm one quarter German. Hey, my, my last name is Reif. Look at the mustache so, on this guy. Reif. He's one of the cast. Yeah. That's a powerful mustache. Oh um, kind of looks like Bryce's. Is that, right is that Krop? Uh, and yes, so. Edward Berg, you said? Edward Berger. Berger. What has he done anything else that we would know? Any anything? Anyone? Yeah, I think he did all quiet on the Western Front. 
<laughs> he did a movie called Jack almost 10 years ago. Does that sound familiar? The Robin Williams film? No. Oh, he's been a... Well, directed like... Your Honor, a couple episodes of Your Honor. Oh, okay. Yeah, some other television too, including The Terror, which was that great little limited horror series on AMC, and uh, a Benedict Cumberbatch starring production called Patrick Melrose from a few years ago. Okay. People have said it's good. Cool. But a lot of, a lot of German stuff. <clears throat> and can you mention the, some of the cast members? Yeah. Who's in the... Who stars in the film? All Quiet on the Western Front. Who are the quiet ones? <laughs> Paul Baumer, our protagonist, our main character here, is Felix Kemmerer. I'm probably... You know what? I bet Bryce would have a better time pronouncing these than me. Okay, yeah. Felix Kemmerer. Paul Boima. Albrecht Sku... Uh, yeah, that, that one I know. Albrecht Sku. <laughs> Sku. Sku. What if it's Shush? Skusten. Uh, Aaron Helmer. I mean, basically what we're getting at is there's just not a lot of like notable names in here um, in our yeah. realm. Okay. Uh, besides Daniel Bruhl. He's a pretty famous German actor. Oh, that's right. He was in there. Yeah. He, he's um, he's kind of like a secondary character. He, um, he played somebody that like went to try to negotiate. Yeah. He played. To um, end the war. I, I don't know his actual like position in like. The, yeah. The ranking. In the, yeah. Yeah. In the ranking government. But Yes. We were following kind of his story yeah. alongside Paul's story. Right. Um, you kind of get, you know, Paul's is obviously down the ground, you know, war what the movie's about. But then we get this, like, kind of clean, um, very, very tidy um, world of these people trying to negotiate the end of a war while you just have this juxtaposition of, like, people actually dying. Yeah. And they're just wasting time. And yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, fascinating storyline. Can you, Gabe, talk about the plot of the film? I can try. And then we'll break for a song. Well, the the film is a little bit different than the book, right, Bryce? Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the movie, it takes place, it starts up uh, a couple years into World War One, right? Mm-hmm. On, as you can imagine, the Western front of the war. Yeah. Uh, That's our, the quiet front. The <laughs> <laughs> Eastern, uh, Eastern front was loud as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't want to go there. Mm. Not the best front. No. But we, we pick up with a, a host of young men who are joining the war effort because they've been well propagandized to yep. in Germany. And they are psyched. They are <laughs> they are pumped. Raw and wriggling. <laughs> what is that? That sounds familiar. That's a uh, uh, golem. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it's an accurate description. They are... Jumping at the opportunity to get out there, they sign up, they ship out. There's, I think, four of them at the start, four mm-hmm. young friends, probably in their late teens, mid-teens. Yeah, yeah. And they get out there, and almost immediately, they get to know the reality of trench warfare. Mm-hmm. and With almost little to no training. Yeah. Seemingly. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they haven't They're really like, here's, any training. Here's a suit with someone else's name on it. Yeah, there's a great sequence at the beginning where... Paul has handed another boy's uh, uniform who just was obliterated on the Western Front Yeah, in a charge. Uh, Anyway, the boys get there. Very quickly, one of them dies in a barrage from the opposing, you know, across the trenches on the other side, maybe only 100 yards in the other direction, the French. And we we follow these boys the course of several months, I think, maybe a year. And people keep dying. People keep dying. Friends, new friends, old friends, old men, young men. The struggle. Is a bit on the front, you know, in like the heat of battle. There's a lot 
that takes place away from the front when they're kind of the reserves and mm-hmm. yeah. you just see you get a lot of the sense of the mundaneness of war as well as the the war we all know from other movies and whatnot yeah there are some quiet moments uh in the middle where they're just kind of living uh slightly away from the front and yeah some of the best moments i'd say yeah the character building moments um but by the end they've all uh been sent essentially on a suicide run by the commander who is the german commander who is uh in charge Mm -hmm. uh, at least regionally who is at odds simultaneously like bryce said the subplot with daniel Bruhl trying to Mm -hmm. Uh, in the war effort because he knows it's all it's crazy and they're trying to get the truce with the French going as quickly as possible the German commander basically disregards all that and he sends the boys what's left of this German um, yeah like everybody knows the war is going to end at 11am oh yeah there's such a funny thought like oh yeah shit war's over you know that's basically how it happens it's like the opposite of a doomsday clock but right weird right as it's about to tick to the truce the the time that the truce would take place the German commander sends the last of his troops into uh, essentially a suicide charge across yeah. the trenches for one last run. One last and ride. they're pretty much all killed. Yeah, basically. Uh, or at least that's um, the implication is that Paul and everyone else who's still alive yeah. is just, you know. The, but, I mean, essentially, there's not really a plot. It's not like yeah. a traditional, like, mm-hmm. you know, beginning, saving middle, Private end, Ryan. saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like, there's no Private Ryan yeah. or... Or private Hemmler that we're trying to yeah. to save, you know. Yeah, it's like it's just like a collection of, of like moments mm-hmm. over the course of like these these I don't want to call them men. I mean, they're boys in the First World War, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's that's part of the reason why I was really attracted to the movie. Like, and and that, that was what I liked about the book a lot that it kind of read like a journal, you know. And that's kind of how the film played out. I, I feel, you know. Yeah, we can get into later why the parts that didn't feel like that and why they weren't as good, but. Yeah, right here, we're going to do our new thing, and we're going to ask Bryce, what song are you into right now? What's like the thing that's got Man, you going? So I just need to switch out of thinking about the hellscape of the First World War and just get <laughs> right into... I used to listen to TV Girl a lot, commonly uh, on my top five lists of artists over the last few years, but not the last year or so, and... Um, I have been loving this song called uh, Do the Act Like You Never Met Me. Wow. It's a great song. Honestly, they're kind of a weird band. Not explicit, but it's... I feel like I can't like play it around like groups of people. It's like solo music. Like, yeah, I can listen to them. <laughs> is it a groove? It is a I'm groove. I'm dying to hear it. It's a great song. Gabe's dying.
All right, now speaking of dying, we're back to the World War One deep breath talk. Oh, nice little palate cleanser. There you there, go. Steve. <laughs> I would like to start off by saying, I've never been much of a war film person or like into war. A man of war. Well, like you guys were talking about you, that you liked war films. Yeah, yeah. More, I think more than I do. Uh, yeah, we've talked about that before. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear maybe why. Well, what, what's the appeal of liking war? In case, I mean, this is the obvious that war is awesome. <laughs> war is tight. War Steve. is sick. There's guns and, and tanks. Yes. <laughs> and gear. Yep. And planes, bombs. You can upgrade your gear as you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have, have an awesome point system that when yeah. you get a kill, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> no, um, I, as a funny aside, this movie was so unbelievably harrowing and like just deeply unsettling mm-hmm. that I just like didn't know what to do with myself when it was over. I was like squirming, like sitting on the couch watching this by myself. And then I was like texting my friends as I was going through because they were kept on getting me to watch it and i movie turned off immediately i turned on call of duty modern warfare 2 (laughs) (laughs) and i was hoping you were gonna go that direction my friend sent me a snapchat of like what i was like my name on xbox of what i was playing and he said mere moments after watching the most harrowing and gut-wrenching war film of the last 100 years you're playing the most desensitizing war experience you can have. That's really funny. It's incredible. But no, what I mean, what what is it? Like, what is it about modern warfare, Call of Duty, or or like you know anything like war that is is enticing to you? That's just that's such a good question, and it's something I think about a lot because it's like, you know, as I grow older and like more sensible and like rational progressive <laughs> progressive like in a positive way yeah 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 because you you're like you're as much as a humanist as anyone yeah like i i have thought a lot about that concept that like i grew up just loving like i would always have like encyclopedias on like world war Two planes and guns and stuff and and i played with airsoft guns growing up and some my, my parents weren't into guns like Maybe my brother kind of was, but like, mm. I don't know. And But it's not just me. It's like, I feel like it's almost a universal thing of like a lot of boys my age, <laughs> like many of many of my friends where I grew up in central Indiana and, and mm-hmm. some friends I've met out here mm-hmm. um, just all kind of grew up the same way. And um, and obviously, I think video games had a huge, huge part in that. I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't I learned so much. Hmm. I mean, for better or for worse, learned had my introduction to World War Two from like Call of Duty, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But my, my interest in those things has always kind of been at odds with like mm-hmm. the the kind of person I want to be or other kind of person I want to be perceived as, you know. Or the reality of like the bitterness. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That like like this film presents itself. Yes, um, and you know, obviously, I grew up on Saving Private Ryan too, and. Uh-huh. Um, well, that's like a very, very, very serious and harrowing film as well. Uh-huh. I would say that's almost a different genre of film than this. Sure, um, Spielberg. Spielberg. Because I mean, stuff like that. That's that's there are anti-war aspects, but ultimately, like, what's the thesis of of Saving Private Ryan? Like, uh-huh. war is entertaining. It's an adventure, you know there's this brotherhood camaraderie aspect. And I guess, I mean, as a kid, I was, I was drawn to those things. Mm. 
And same thing, you know, with the stories in a Call of Duty game. Um, those are even more ridiculous because the thesis of those is always going to be that war is fucking awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not just entertaining, it's sick. Especially uh, when it's advanced. Yeah. Oh, or infinite for that matter. <laughs> oh or modern. Um, yeah. So it sounds like it's like gear brotherhood I, yeah it's, it's the geariness the yeah. the like the like uh savior kind of um um yeah the, what, what's the classic like star wars storyline where there's the protagonist the hero's, the hero's journey, journey yeah. Kind of thing. yeah yeah the, the the brave warrior kind of thing and, and it's not even like i really saw myself in those sure. kind of people i don't think um, you ever imagine actually killing anyone no no know? but that's that's the thing about this like and I played Bond, like yeah, like the yeah. Yeah, the sixty four Bond, you know, going around shooting um, people in Temple. But that's like the closest I ever got to playing anything that had to do with war or shooting. Yeah, um, you know, it's such a fascinating conversation because you kind of grew up. I mean, liking I was pretty much shooters and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what is it? You you speak. You guys have already hit the nail on the head. It's all those things, but there's also a special flavor to it with American nationalism over the last, yeah. you know, 50 to 100 years that uh, it makes it a special brand where, you know, we celebrate our military exploits totally and, you know, like imperialistic stuff. Yeah. But yeah, everything from um, from the brotherhood like you said to um, it, there's there's a primal, I mean, like you said, this is a loaded conversation that could go as deep as you want. I know. I, I love talking about this. Though. I never really get <clears throat> well. This is the uh, this is talk about part this. of the conversation. I think. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. That's well, one of the, the core of it, as far as I mean, as I could articulate in the time that we have to, is that there's like a primal aspect to yeah. like a boy or a man's uh, you know draw to violence, just yeah. like he's drawn to fire. Yeah. You know, it's like a, yeah. It's like that. You've heard me talk about spiral dynamics maybe once or twice. Yeah. Where it talks about like a cycle and, and everything. Uh, the whole cycle is essentially attributed a color and it starts with like brown and that's like our primal instinct. And then it goes to purple and you become a little bit more magical or myst- mystified. And it's like where you introduce like magic and, and the elements that you see around you as you grow. Uh, and then you go back to. Uh, another color and you advance a little bit further I forget what it is then eventually go to red where it becomes all about war again and every color like then every stage is always the progression and the abandonment of the thing before it and then you advance on and, and yeah. until you get to the place where you eventually become green I think the color is where it's like you, you care about everyone around you the environment the people you don't want any death you, you just want peace and yeah. love and you know, you it's progress paradise. to that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's but hard. so, but it's interesting. I just hearing that the primal instinct, because I guess there is always something that you know. There's like you want to tap into that, I guess, as a man or as yeah. a, as a person. Yeah, or, even well, subconsciously, you know. And to take it back out a little bit, just like yeah, the the, the primalness of it, and I don't want to categorize just all boys are this way, all girls are this way, or whatever. But yeah, but commonly, like, what do you get your, what did I get my nephew for Christmas or what did he get for Christmas? Fucking Tonka toys and, (laughs) and like big machines. I thought you were going to say Nerf gun. (laughs) No, 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 no. He's three, but, um, (laughs) but just like (laughs) trains and trucks and, and semi trucks. We've only ever encouraged, you know, like gender norms. Yeah. 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 But like this, I guess it's just the appealing of like mechanization, mm. you know, mm, and sure. and just big cool machines. Like, oh my god, the show Modern Marvels. Growing up, I loved that. Just yeah. huge, huge machines, just building stuff, you know. Mm. And 
And I think there's a lot of crossover there with like war because like the coolest machines are the ones that like the army guys were using, you yeah. know, that's a and great the tanks and stuff. And but and but as I grow older and re- reckon with that, as you know, we were talking about a second ago, I think I, I'm more drawn to the historical significance of these things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously, especially with World War Two, and um, but I guess we're talking about World War One, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that like World War One in particular has interested me for the last few years because it's it's kind of like the beginning of the modern era. Like the Industrial Revolution started, you know, within the last century before that, but like mm-hmm. this is the first time we had people, we had empires like fighting against each other on this scale. And it was the last time we had empires fighting against each other on the scale. There are no more empires after World War One. It was this great disillusion of like monarchies around the world, um, for the most part. Yeah. You know, they can exist in different ways with you know, America as it is today, and the Soviet Union, and German Reich, and everything. But, but yeah, I think that is. I'm very interested in that kind of thing, and like the the world changing from this particular war. And then this film is very fascinating. The reason why I read the book in the first place is to see like how that affected people, mm-hmm. you know, in their daily lives. I mean, I'm probably honestly more interested in how it affected how it affected the non-combatants of the world. But I think this film does a really incredible job of like putting you, showing you the human psyche of like mm-hmm. people who are deeply affected by stupid decisions. And World War One is among the stupidest of decisions ever. What do you mean by that? From because of how it started, or, yeah. or how, how it continued. Y- yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just like I mean, we're familiar with like the story of how it started with uh, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. yeah, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Um, well, the whole thing was pretty ridiculous. Not just the foundation of it, but also the way it was conducted. Like I mentioned, trench warfare. It's it's like such a an absurd premise for conflict where you just get up and run across no man's land just to get shot like yeah. it's suicide run after suicide and, run and you're only ever fighting over inches you know yeah. they make a note of that in the film i think even mm-hmm. that you know after all this time all these lives lost only a few inches were ever yeah, lost or yeah a few hundred feet or something yeah it's just absurd it's pure absurdity so, so we, we've gotten yeah. better at killing we, each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was accurately conveyed through every aspect of this film. Like, um, I, I'm not a huge war guy myself, but I, I really, really loved this movie. I loved it so much that I could recommend it to, I think anyone, as long as they can stomach it. Yeah. And, you know, because, cause it's an honest look at, the humanity behind war and behind uh, the choices people make while in the trenches and, and how horrifying mm-hmm. and that is. I mean, full spoilers at this point, like the, the most difficult scene to watch and, and one of the most honest scenes to watch, I think was when the two, he, he's in the, he's in that, that oh. hole at the very end toward the end. And um, he has to basically, uh, kill or be killed. Yeah. And, and he stabs the guy and the guy is just is bleeding out in front of him for a long time. And a you, long time. And you're just sitting there watching it and you're feeling every breath this person takes mm-hmm. and you're experiencing 
every emotion and 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 the sheer horror on on the face of the protagonist who i can't remember the name of at this point paul paul and i think after the person finally finally passes it's like it's like a 10 or 15 minutes long scene. it's like a long scene of you just you're experiencing every emotion um he finally passes he goes over and he finds a picture or a letter uh and it shows that this guy had a family and yeah. they were hoping to see him as soon as the war was over and which like on all accounts is usually like a a like a normal a done trope it's kind in, of a in trope. Other, yeah in yeah. other war films but it was deeply affecting yeah, in this movie you, you literally see this yeah. man die you see you see him take yeah. his last breath and you see that he had a family and the hope of the the young he's like a one or three-year-old kid or something yeah, who yeah. just wants data to come home and you're it's you're just like oh i'm i'm undone i am i'm now yeah i'm i'm undone as a human being war is the most horrific thing yeah. ever and and i don't i don't want it to ever happen you know yeah, there's there's never a moment in this movie where i'm going oh yeah war is yeah awesome. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so just thinking about that scene is like the the film, like as Bryce said earlier, it it shows kind of in vignettes aspects of why war is bad. And, and um, over the course, you're just kind of getting little glimpses of them progressing and you're seeing little uh, short scenes of why war is awful and the worst. And so when it gets to that scene, I think that was the kind of the uh, zenith turning point before the film took a turn in in the kind of suicide run that Gabe was talking about Mm -hmm. you're just kind of left thinking oh this is the worst thing ever and I'm I'm kind of wondering how that feeling comes across in the book is it described the same way or the same kind of vignettes and like tiny little stories happen in the same way like do you get the same emotion does the, the same emotion come through of how horrifying yeah I, I would say so. It, it it is a similar format that it's like I said. It kind of reads like journal entries almost. Um, it's first person. Um, like like journaling. Like no, it's not like it. Not like it's somebody actually journaling, but mm. it's more of like they're just kind of moments in time you're 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 a fly on the wall for. Um, hmm. The book does. that's what I was impressed by with the movie is that, that it manages to capture that like the same, like the the length of time you spend Mm. in these like very, very sickening scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, like the moment you just described, Mm -hmm. there's a moment in the book where I don't remember the guy's name, but early on, like when the first time they get out to the front, um, one of their, one of their friends gets like just brutally maimed and he, but he's not dead. He's in the hospital. And so they get a chance to go visit him in like the field hospital. And, um, and at this point they're already like starting to become desensitized. Like they've been out there for, I mean, a matter of days. And, uh, one of the, one of the guys is like having trouble like with his boots and he was just like almost excited for his friend to die. Cause he could get his boots mm. and not like, not at all thinking about anything beyond his his immediate like primal needs um Mm -hmm. and then yeah they all get to the guy's you know deathbed right and and most of them kind of clear out it's just paul and this guy you know i'm pretty sure it's just the two of them and paul is watching this guy die they're trying to talk to him you're trying to get some some sort of information out of him but the way the book describes the color 
leaving somebody's face as like mm. their heart stops pumping blood. Um, like that, that was a moment where I, I had to stop reading the book for like a good month or two. It took me like seven months to read the book Whoa. and it's like a, I mean, it's like a very short book. <laughs> it's a notoriously short classic. Um, but yeah, uh, that, those kind of scenes, there was a lot more of them I'll say in the book than in the movie. And I think that and I haven't seen any of the other, uh, adaptations. Yeah, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, no, they, they are very similar. Um, the, the biggest difference is in the book, there's no storyline about, uh, like Daniel Brule's character who's like trying to end the war. Um, okay. That's those, I think were kind of some of the weaker scenes in the movie yeah. where again, I like the juxtaposition of it. Like I mm-hmm. love in general, I love fiction. That's like massive, massive mm-hmm. unbeatable systems and governments. Um, you know, like a behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, well okay, I'll, I'll backtrack. I love, I love like intimate stories that take place like with, against the backdrop of these massive unbeatable systems. Uh-huh. Um, like there's a lot of really good fiction that has come out of like the Soviet union, for example, just people living their normal lives, but there always is a roadblock because of the stupid fucking government. Right. And, and that's kind of what's going on in, in this movie. Right. So that part I liked with, with the storyline of ending the war, but it didn't have the same sense of like presence and sense of like time and place that the, I think the rest of the movie had, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys agree, but, um, yeah. it very much felt like I was watching like a different movie, like a, a different kind of war film. And, and I'm not usually not a guy that's like, yeah, but the boogie didn't do this, <laughs> but I think it's to the book's credit that it remains deeply entrenched literally with these people and you never leave their side. I, I agree with you. I, I I did feel that way, but for me as a viewer, and I had no context, for, I never read the book. When those scenes came, I was like, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air. I was like, uh, yeah. oh, thank God. Like, I'm, yeah, not, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not with these kids, these kids anymore. <laughs> that, that, that's probably, yeah. As that's they're all the dying. And I was like, fuck. Because like, you, you come from, like it's always like a really intense thing. Or like, you know, yeah. they're being shot at for stealing a chicken or something or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and getting shot by like a 10-year-old kid. It's like... <laughs> And then so when you cut to the Daniel Brule and then them like just politicking, yeah, like I'm just like ah, oh, like thank God I just want a break from, yeah. So I I can imagine why it would have taken that long just to read yeah. the book. Cause... See, the, the book does offer a little bit more respites in the form of um, just like non-combat moments, camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that that was a big, that was one of my least favorite things about the film that there you really had like I think one or two. Where the guy goes Moments. off with the girls. Yeah, the guy goes off with the girls. That whole sequence, like, it's yeah. really, they kind of pack on all the positivity and brotherhood and camaraderie into, like, a kind of, of a, like, a 20-minute sequence yeah. in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Which, I guess, it kind of works in the flow of, like, how, how the tone goes. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, I think it would have felt a little bit more, like, realist. I mean, I don't know what realistic is supposed to be like in this case. It wasn't in World War One, but it, I think it may have felt a little more genuine if if we got those moments throughout yeah and you, you would have gotten to know the characters a little more because mm-hmm. i really only know two of their names sure <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even know one <laughs> uh this whole movie was in subtitles by the way we should yeah. say i don't think yeah. i've said that yet the only other like more recent comparison i have is 1917 yeah for, for sure it, it felt kind of like that and i love yeah. 1917 i think 1917 had more of a a narrative arc for sure but i think i liked this movie more as a film yeah you know i haven't actually really thought about 
comparing the two. I, yeah, I don't really know how to compare them because they felt like both of them were pretty negative about war yeah, and, yeah. and showing the, the downside of war. But, but that's not really the point of 1917, though. Correct. That, that's the point of this movie. I, I don't even remember, but he's running and trying to, he's trying to. He's getting a message. Get to, a message to someone. To yeah, another battalion that is, is going a, to be attacked. Kind of like a Saving Private Ryan thing. It like you, is very much. Yeah, yeah. Ryan. So, yeah. yeah. So this is this is a very different war movie. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe the difference of like this war movie. Being How is this different? An, than... Anti-war war movie. Yeah. Because I've never yeah. seen a war movie like this. Yeah. And and you sold it to me before I even saw it a couple months ago when we recorded Andor. You're like. You gotta watch this movie. It's the most anti-war war movie I've ever seen, and I'm like, cool. That sounds I probably awesome. I got that from a headline. <laughs> yeah, probably clickbait. Watch Mojo's top ten reasons why <laughs> All Quiet on the Western Front is the most anti-war film ever made. But another question that we posed earlier, and you said, yeah, it, it cannot exist. Yeah, like a war film that is showing scenes of war, yeah, taking place during a war about yeah. combatants. Can that be anti-war? Yeah. Because ultimately, like, it's always going to fall back on some sort of, like, spectacle. It's always going to try and be entertaining. Um, and, and in a sense, like, glorifying it. Yeah. I mean, maybe not even, like, glorifying it, but, like, Showcase. there's just something about a very well-produced action scene in the trenches that, like, is going to spark some sort of, like, blockbustery excitement mm-hmm. in a viewer, mm-hmm. you know? Um, this should have been in the theaters, by the way. I can't believe it wasn't. I know. It'd be so good in theaters. Or like, lo- like have a longer run in the theaters. The yeah, fact that we yeah. had to watch it on our TVs is kind of a yeah, shame. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think that's... Uh, I like read arguments about this thing, about like if there can be an anti-war war film. Sure. And, and, and that that's one of the main points, that yeah. it, you're always going to kind of default to that. And But this movie definitely had those scenes. It had like really you know big action set pieces and stuff but like I mean I I can't quite place my finger on why I didn't really ever get like excited when I was watching those sequences I got like more scared Mm -hmm. I got more like those are the moments where I had to like pause it and like go get a snack or something and come (laughs) back and like collect myself like wait for Daniel Brew to pop up (laughs) yeah like I mean just as somebody as we kind of talked about before like when I watch war films and stuff, you know, I'm thinking about like what guns they're using, like what what guns they're using, Saving Private Ryan, what tanks they're mm-hmm. fighting, and and sure, I may know what guns they're using and all quiet on the Western Front and what tanks the French are using, but I wasn't really thinking about that while I was watching. That's good. Like, that's a yes, great, that's a great thing. Yes, in a, but in a, in a, it's it's wholly different than every other war yeah. thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. So, what do you think? I mean, obviously, the, the technical aspects of the film are great, like the cinematography, yeah. oh, the incredible. acting, yeah. directing. Yeah, unbelievable. The coloring of even the film, like, it, you know, it's very yes. kind of dark. Well, it wasn't, like, super dark. Like, I felt like it had a lot of color, but it was it was uh, bleak. It was grim, you know? Yeah. It was, like, a lot of grays, a lot of browns. Bleak and... is the way to describe <laughs> the film. But what do you think, what do you think about the film made you feel that way more than any other war film if you had if you could put a name to it or yeah. a sentence gabe you can chime in too. you talk about its Ga- anti-war quality gabe's here by the way i like hearing you guys talk that's what you always say i think i have an answer for you though yeah please Ooh. i don't so 
If, I mean, if the this is the same question from two minutes ago. Uh, why is it an anti-war film? How is it an anti-war film? How is it? More so yeah. in quality than any of its predecessors who might even claim to be so, but are not. It's twofold for me. One is in its absolutely horrific and visceral uh, detailed depiction of the events yeah, therein in the film, which is to say the blood, the gore, all those things are familiar, but the hopelessness of it all, like mm-hmm. when the tanks are rolling over the trenches, I don't think, I mean, we've, we've seen some pretty crazy stuff, even in just Saving Private Ryan. You know, the whole storming Normandy uh, was, you know. Stormandy. Stormandy was <laughs> le- unpre- unprecedented for its time in terms of, you know, wartime depiction. And I mean, in, in the gore, and right, in the mm-hmm. sense of, of uh, the scale of, uh, of the budget of the gore. <laughs> but there's something uh, that is just totally hopeless about the way it is in this film. And I think that's, you know, rooted in its setting of trench warfare. But that leads me into my second thought, which is um, there's really no heroism in this film. Yeah. And in all those previous mentions, Saving Private Ryan, 1917, there's this through line of heroism and the triumph of the human spirit, or yeah. uh, even, a, even a to be more particular, a Doesn't, nationalistic tendency. Exactly, yeah. Whether it's British or American, it doesn't really matter. Right. But there's no heroism, no triumph in the human spirit is crushed time and again in this film. It's obliterated repeatedly. Decimated. Yeah. And and it's not just because we're on the Germans' perspective either. It's because there is no winner in war from the perspective of the people fighting it. Yeah. And and this film doesn't go to any lengths, even though it, it introduces some subplot extraneous subplot that wasn't in the novel it doesn't introduce any heroism i, I felt and mm-hmm. no at no point in the movie was i like there's a triumph of the human spirit here this is paul you know overcoming his adversity paul was a spectator in his own body for the complete mm-hmm. you know run of the film and he was just enduring like bryce said hardship after yeah. hardship trial after trial so and, and again i think it's the time we spend in those moments too like like in any other film you would have had like these giddy soldiers um, you know, really excited to to go on this adventure of war, and they would have their spirit crushed like over the course of the film, mm-hmm. and then there would be like a falling point towards like you know halfway through to the end, and then they'd have to reckon with that. But in this film, they're excited to go to war. They get to war and they're crushed within seconds. Yeah, their spirits are com- are immediately crushed, and then we watch the rest of the three hours of people with broken will <laughs> trying to like make their way in this war that they have no agency in. Yeah. And that hero's journey you mentioned is never completed. And what's yeah. curious about it too, I was going to bring up earlier is that the ending is different as I recall. I mean, I didn't read the book. You could help me uh, with I, my, I mean, my limited research here. Ended, to be honest. <laughs> in the novel, Paul doesn't die, uh, at least immediately because right. of the war. He goes on to live and returns to... Uh, civilian right. life. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so a big important mark of the book is how he brings that, like we said earlier, back with him and how it affects the rest of the world outside of the yeah. actual battles fought in World War One. And But even then, even though Paul's alive in the novel, there is still a relentless, you know, negative connotation. Yeah. And, and the things that he's going through, living with PTSD, living with the remnants of his shattered home, his country, mm-hmm. and the entire nation, or... Um, continent even yeah uh yeah there's never there's never an element of 
heroism or triumph there. And I think yeah. that's what mm-hmm. makes it an anti-war film. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Closing remarks. Closing Eric Maria remarks. <laughs> the author of the book. We already I said think, that. I think it's interesting, Stephen, you mentioned you would uh, recommend this film to a lot of people. Who could stomach it? Yeah, who could stomach it key, is key. Key point. Um, key point. Because I don't think many could, but I think many should. Yeah. Because, and just especially in light of recent events. I mean, this film came out last year. In November, I right, think. Right, uh, which was really just... Right at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, less than a year after um, Russia had invaded Ukraine. Yeah. And we have, yeah. you know, as close as we've been to a world war. Uh, ultimately, yeah, probably since World War II. I mean, in other places in the world, people are calling it World War Three. Yeah, I just that should be noted. Well, it, in terms of the scope and scale of it, it is it is so topical that this film came out in the same year mm-hmm. because this is a film that has been with us for almost a century. This story, I yeah, mean, uh, that has been kind of reintroduced into popular culture every so often, and not so much remade or even recontextualized because it's still the same conflict but it takes on a new weight and a new meaning i think for every generation that walks into it sure and i think that's one reason why it's cool obviously it's sad we didn't get to see it in theaters but to have it so accessible on something like like netflix and to have this Mm -hmm. message being stirred around again and circulated i think it's i think it's a pretty remarkable and there's an aspect of it too that when you see these the the frivolousness of Frivolity. The frivolity of their efforts, you know, to gain an inch or two of of no man's land. Like Mm. how this was happening a hundred years ago and like more or less like a lot of the events in the Ukraine war in the last year have been very, very similar. Mm -hmm. Very, very meager gains on, on either side in the last few months. Yeah, I kept thinking of this quote. I think it might have been FDR, it might have been misattributed there, but it's essentially like war is uh, young men dying and old men talking. Yeah. Right? You probably heard something like yeah. that before. But it, it there, there, Or heard that exact quote before. Heard that exact quote, but <laughs> something uh, like yeah, there's essentially no, no reason for it. And you could go back to really any conflict, I think, um, whether or not you'd call it a war, and it's just like, it's ridiculous. You know, there's really no reason to, to resort to these kinds yeah. of ways of living so i do want to say though that if you haven't seen it i definitely think it's worth your time yeah because it will make you think it will make you feel mm-hmm. we're not really doing any pushes for the academy awards anymore but i do think it has a chance of actually winning because it is a it is a quality picture on top of everything yeah. else it is, it is it is if it wins it'll win by do you like the book or the movie more oh. or different same no comparison um no contrast. I had a lot harder time with the book. And I think that's, it was a little bit harder to stomach at times. Um, you felt the book more. Is what I you're think saying. I did. Okay. But I don't really know if that means I liked it better. Yeah. <laughs> From what I know of the book, I think I'd prefer it just because the way it stays with Paul. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also yeah. seeing him after his time in the war, I think. Yeah. Is I, might, I, might, I might say the book. I might say the book. Okay. Um, the movie was spectacular though. But, I Spectacle. mean, it should be noted. Not reading that book ever again. No. <laughs> and I've definitely not seen this movie ever again. <laughs> I know. It is a once movie kind of thing. Yeah, I got everything I needed out of yeah. it. There's some movies that get better and better yeah. after rewatches. Yeah. Some some movies you can only watch twice. Yeah. This movie is one of those yeah. you're only going to watch once, despite it being 
Very good. Well, you can revisit it with your children in 30 years when it's remade. Oh, that's a good point. I would watch the other versions. I would love to see, I think it's from like 1930. Yeah, I the think that one, one also Jeez. won. I, I, I think I, that yeah. was around the time best, like the Academy Awards became a thing. 1927, Whoa. I think, was the first. Yeah. And I think it was around 3032 yeah. that the first rendition of the film was, was made. And I think I mean, it that was within year. like, when did the book come out? I mean, that had to have been within it was right five, after. five, six years of the book being released. That's wild. And it was, uh, did, we, did we decide it was German writ? because it was like right as the Nazi party was taking power. So it's pretty funny. And I think I tried to read a little bit about that original, either the author or the director of the first film. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, I don't think Hitler was thrilled with that one because <laughs> they were just trying to do their nationalism thing again. <laughs> uh, it's written by, it's an American production. It's Universal Studios. It came out a year after the book was written. Yeah, so it's like 32, 33. Yeah, book was 1929, movie was 1930. Oh, there you go. 2930. Wow. And it was a big production, too, I think. Like, it was a big deal when that movie came out. Yeah. For the industry. The wind. Yeah. Did this movie have much of a score? Did All Quiet on the Western Front have it a had It a very did. good score. You don't remember? Oh, I do, I do. It was, My yeah, first yeah. note was the blaring synth at the front of the yeah, film. Yeah, because it, it repeated like electric that. guitar at yeah, times, too? it was wild. Yeah, that was an interesting... Because so cool. it, was, it was sort of modern. That, it I, was. Remember, I remember it now. Yeah. It was. Who was this who was the scorist? The scorceress? The scor- <laughs> it was Volker Volker Bertelmann. And that opening track called Price. Remains is, is the one with the synth. It pretty much right off the bat, it's like Yeah. A pretty remarkable because like you said, the contrast of its modern synthesizer sound yes. versus World War I, I remember so. it really well now because I remember thinking, and it's blaring it, like, too. It, so it takes you yeah. back. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. Right here at the end, we'll play that very uh, jarring song. <laughs> 